conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back. We are closing in on Avengers Endgame, and today we are talking all about Thor The Dark World, which is the final MCU movie that I have left ahead of Endgame to discuss, and Katie Schaefer is joining me again because apparently she likes to talk about bad Thor movies. I do. I do. Any Thor movies are interesting on a certain level, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that at least. I feel like This one had a lot more potential than the first one, because with an origin story, you have to tell the origin story. (laughs) You can't get too terribly creative with that, I guess. You know, I think Iron Man probably did the best job with the origin story. And I think that's because they knew they had to come out swinging with that big opening for just setting up the Avengers and everything like that. And I am definitely ignoring the Incredible Hulk. So, you know, we're just going with Iron Man. (laughs) And, you know, Thor of the Dark World, not great. Maybe a little better than the first one. But I kind of wish they would have just done something different with this one. It seemed so random. I guess like they just kind of plucked a story out of thin air to bring, you know, an infinity stone into things. But then but then there's two by the end of it. And I was like, wait, what? And then I kind of wanted more explanation on the infinity stones. And I don't know if the second one, they're just referring to the Tesseract again. I have no idea. But it's one of those things where I was like, yeah, you know, Marvel maybe could have given us a little more about the Infinity Stones leading up to Infinity War because I feel like they crammed a lot of that in and it was like, oh, you really had to be paying attention. And in a way that kind of doesn't feel too fair to the audience because they have to know that not everyone has read the comics. And I don't know, I think this movie could have done something to remedy that a little bit and just give us a better idea of what exactly the Infinity Stones were. Yeah, it would have been the perfect opportunity considering like these aren't people who are unaware of these objects. You know, this is an Earth where everyone's still learning about what Infinity Stones mean. Asgard has been around and aware of the Nine Realms and the universe for thousands and thousands of years. So they really could have taken the opportunity to give us more. And, and they give us a little bit more, but not enough to really understand that like you know, there are six of them and they all play, or seven of them, excuse me, and they all play into each other and they have a much bigger effect than what you see. Like, they give us more about that they can't be destroyed. I think that's really the only new information we get is that you can't destroy these kinds of, you know, constructs or things or elements or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, honestly, I forgot how much these first two movies focused on Loki as well. Because we get quite a few Loki moments in this, you know, he does something noble, so to speak, but really he faked his death so he could trick his brother and pretend to be their father. (laughs) And It was just a very Loki thing to do. And, you know, a quick note on the casting, though, because really the only thing I have to say is that Zachary Levi was in this and I didn't even notice. And yeah. While he's not really the main addition, you have 
the dark elves in this as well. It was just something that I felt I had to bring up. But otherwise, I feel like we're hanging out with the same characters for the most part from the first movie. And it's still a family story. We get a lot more Renee Russo in this one. And I, I really liked that, I will say. And I think she gives a, an interesting performance. One that makes you want to see more before it's just cut short. Yeah. I don't like the decision to kill her. <laughs> I was no, like, but we barely know I. her. <laughs> that's that's a real fridging type activity there, killing uh, his mother to further his own, his and Loki's character development. But I did love the fact that she's a total badass that, you know, while she dies quickly, she still kicks that dark elf's ass in about 30 seconds. So she's obviously not one that just a fainting trickster because she has the same like pretend abilities that Loki does. Yeah. Let's talk about the ladies in this story a little more too, because I know when we were covering the first movie we couldn't remember what on earth happened to lady sif in this movie and i thought <laughs> i was almost certain she had died because she just disappears after this and it's very odd because she's a character they've focused more on as far as you know the warriors go and everything in both the first movie and in the dark world and i was like okay you know, they thought she was important enough to put her in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too, and I'm pretty sure they didn't kill her off in that. So I guess I don't know why I thought she died if she was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I don't know when she was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I think that's still a reasonable thought to have. <laughs> but I was just like, okay, what are they doing with this character? Because it's like they want us to pay attention to her, and then she's just gone. And it's like, okay, now... Is she going to show up in Endgame? What's going to happen with her? And Jane Foster, I still have some problems with how that character is written. <laughs> yeah, me too. Especially in this one. Like in the first one, we get we get her in kind of crisis mode or like discovery mode almost. You know, she because something big is happening in her life and things are dramatically changing. So we see her when she's really stressed. But then in the beginning of Thor The Dark World, like, she's just doing her and, like, especially that scene on the date. Just, oh, it's so, it's so painfully rom-com. Yeah. And Natalie Portman deserves better. I'm going to say that first of all. And then beyond that, like, this character deserves better. She's a, like, genius-level scientist who's discovered all of these great things. And and she becomes Thor in the comics. <laughs> Right. And like her relationship with Thor shouldn't negate all of those things. And it feels like it does. Feels like that is the overarching thing about Jane Foster that we get is, oh, it's Thor's girlfriend instead of it's a scientist who Thor happens to be dating. And she needs to be saved, too, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, always. Always. Don't we always need to be saved? <laughs> Just, and, like, most of their movies don't fall into that trope as much. But in this movie, it really embraces such a almost stereotypical superhero fantasy story archetype that it gets tiresome. Like, I will say, flat out up front, I liked this movie better than the first one. And I liked, I liked it more for a lot of different reasons. But it still has so many problems. And how it portrays its female characters is one of those problems. Because, like, Rene Russo, 
Like we get so little of Rene Russo and there's obviously so much there and then they just kill her off never to be seen again. And it feels cheap. Yeah, really they give Thor and Loki the most to do in this movie, which isn't surprising given that Thor is the character who the movie is named after. So, you know, it's one of those things where I really don't know what they were doing with all of the female characters in this movie. I was just like, oh, okay, one's dead. All right, one, nope. She's not as important as they made us think she was. And then Jane, it's just like, oh, wow, you just kind of blew a lot of potential with this character. I mean, they do a bit of a better job in this movie, but I don't think I really like this more or less than the first one. I think they're pretty even for me. Maybe I like the first one a little more. I don't know. I'm trying to find my rankings here. (laughs) This is the biggest difference we've ever had about a piece of media, and I think it's hilarious because that's about Thor. (laughs) Okay. I I, I found my ratings and everything. I gave Thor a two and a half, and I gave this a two. So I didn't like this quite as much, but I think, you know, they could probably both be a two for me, and it is what it is. But yeah, I don't know. I think this kind of comes in next to the Incredible Hulk for me. Oof, that movie. I've watched it once and never again. I think it's mostly because of the rest of the other movies just being better. You know, it's not like this is a half star for me or anything like that. It's just one of those things where there are 21 movies into this now, soon to be 22. And it's like, okay, something's going to have to be in the bottom three or four. Right. <laughs> right. And I will say that, you know, like I said, when we did the first, uh, the first podcast that Loki gets a lot more development in this and on this movie even more so than the first he's honestly like a co-protagonist with Thor because his journey is progressing the same not necessarily on the same path as Thor's but it's progressing in the same way that Thor's is and I did enjoy that aspect of it I was very interested in how they're like because I had completely forgotten, honestly. I was like, okay, what did they do with Loki in this movie? What happens? Because Thor's development is boring. Super boring. I don't... Like, Chris Hemsworth gives it his all like he does for most things, and that's fine. But, you know, we don't really see Thor grow. He doesn't have much of a character arc in this film. You know, other than, I guess he kind of learns to forgive Loki or something, but it doesn't feel fresh or new or exciting. It just feels like Thor is the same at the beginning as he is at the end. Yeah. And the only thing that really seems to change is that he has even more feelings for Jane by the end of it. And you can tell that his mother's death has impacted him, but it doesn't impact him as much as one would think it would, especially given the fact that they tend to live longer than humans. So, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things where Thor is a lot older than he looks. And you would think that bond they would have just wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, that happened by the end of the movie. Right. In in, um, Infinity War, he says that he is over 1500 years old. So that's the kind, because I've always wondered how old he was. So I've locked that into my memory. Um, And the bond you would develop with someone after that, I mean, I know the bond you can develop with a parent is in the short lifetimes that we humans live is pretty significant. But after that long, going through that much change and that much turbulence, like 
that would rock you to your core. And he's, he kind of seems tangentially affected by it. Like he's much more concerned with his dad and how his dad feels, how Odin is surviving through all of this. than it seems he is for his own grief. Like Loki is the one who seems really affected by it, regardless of how much he pretends that he isn't. Yeah. And I think just the fact that Loki is adopted, obviously that bond is going to be a little different, but it still really seems like that they cared for him as if he was their own son. So it makes sense that, you know, for him, it would be a little different. Right. Right. And But you see that she's the one who comes and visits him and makes sure he's comfortable and does all these things for him and doesn't stop coming because he's cruel or whatever. She has this mother bond with him that despite his, you know, refusal to admit or accept it is very obviously there because we see it in that moment um, right after she's died when Thor comes and he's, you know, putting up this front and then he puts it down and you can see he's destroyed everything and is just a wreck. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's the moment. And that was one moment on the screen. I was like, good job. Very good job. Because that provides a lot of depth to Loki's character that is missing up until, you know, Thor Ragnarok, really. I think that might have been one of my favorite moments out of this movie. And it was something that had such an impact, you know, And when he fakes his death, I was like, oh, I didn't really remember that. You know, again, I forgot a lot of this movie. I don't think I've watched it since whenever I first watched it, unless I've caught just, you know, pieces here and there because it's been on TV or something. But yeah, I was like, okay, all right. He fakes his death, but we know he's not dead because I've seen all the other movies. (laughs) Right. And honestly, when he died, I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Wait a second. This doesn't feel right at all. I've seen that movie. I know he isn't. And but I will say watching that end death scene and then having seen Thor Ragnarok, where it's all acted out again, except with Matt Damon and uh, God, Sam Neill and the music that plays. I noticed or uh, my my partner noticed that the music that plays when that happens is the same music they play in Ragnarok while that little play is going on. It's the same like oh. <laughs> So I actually honestly laughed pretty hard at that scene just because of the the juxtaposition in my mind, but you know, it's meant to have a lot of power, but then when they just reverse it so quickly without ever addressing how it's reversed it feels so cheap like there's a lot of cheap uh script tricks with this film that they just kind of hand wave like yeah it just happened it's fine don't worry about how it happened it just did yeah for me i think i forgot how little these movies seem to tie into the story as a whole it seems most of that information is shoehorned in either in you know the credit scenes or just in little moments in the movie itself. And here, you know, like I said, they had potential to give us more meat on what the Infinity Stones were. And I think, you know, despite the fact that they did not give us that, I really did enjoy Infinity War because I think they 
pace that well enough to fit all of these characters in and give you all of the information you needed before Thanos gets a hold of everything. But they could have spread that out more and not had to do all of that juggling with Infinity War and maybe focused a little more on the characters. Because we do get those moments in Infinity War, but I don't know, I just feel like this movie could have really opened up some room for some other stuff down the line. Yeah, it feels uh, more cut off from the rest of the Marvel Universe than a lot of the movies. I mean, Ant-Man is the same way, you know, because they're sort of off doing their own thing. And then it's sort of the credit scenes in those movies that tie in. And that's fine because Scott Lang hasn't played a huge part in the Avengers storylines, really. You know, he was in Civil War, but then it was like, okay, you know, that kind of led into Ant-Man and the Wasp pretty well without having to linger on that storyline. And with Thor, you know, he was such a big deal as part of the Avengers. It was like, oh, okay, all right, we're going back to this world for a bit, and they're not really going to explain anything to us. Right. It felt like they could have gotten so much more in-depth because I really enjoyed the little bits of Asgard that we see. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted more about Asgard and more about his life and the lives of Asgardians and their place in this vast cosmos. And less about him and Jane. (laughs) And really less about Jane, which is weird (laughs) because they just don't do anything with her. Like, I don't. It's hard. I don't know that I care. Yeah. Like, I don't, they don't give us enough to care about because, and like, they spend so much time on that scene describing the gravity well issue, but it doesn't need to be that much. Like, that in that final, you know, when, you know, all of the heavens are opening up and everything is aligning or whatever, it's like, you didn't need to spend all this time doing this setup. Like, this is a superhero movie. You didn't need to scientifically set this up. You could have just, like, you were willing to hand wave everything else. Why not save some time and hand wave this a little bit and give us more interesting stuff that will bond us to the characters and make us know more about the universe that you're building? Because at this point, they obviously knew where things were going. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not where they were going, but to a certain extent, they knew they were going somewhere. Yeah, and at this point, We've already seen the Tesseract show up. So it's like, okay, give us a little more about those things instead of just sort of leaving the audience to either read the comics or just go online and search it all for themselves because other people have read the comics. I feel like it could have been a little more enjoyable had they connected things a little more with some of these movies, but particularly this Thor one, because I think the first one did a better job of like including S.H.I.E.L.D. in it. So you kind of got a sense of where it fit within the bigger sense of the MCU, even though they were in New Mexico. Right. I agree. There's, It's real mishmash, and partially probably because it's set in London, and partially because it's so, you know, they spend a lot of time setting up the story with the Dark Elves and who they are and all of that, which I was fine with because that's actual setup we do really need. Uh-huh. But it really does feel like it's segmented off. Like, you don't necessarily need to watch this movie to experience the rest of the MCU, like Incredible Hulk. Like, you don't need to have seen this to understand. You can pretty easily accept that there's an Infinity Stone we haven't seen 
even though that's not the case with any of the rest of them, you can accept that and move along. Yeah. And I mean, you could even argue that Thor Ragnarok doesn't really tie in as much, but in a way it does because you have Bruce Banner there the whole time. You know, we knew he went away and we never knew where he ended up. So you get that tie in to that. And then you have these moments where you're finding, you know, the Quinjet and everything like that. And in this, it's like, oh, by the way, here are some Infinity Stones, just little facts for you. And I don't know, I kind of got bored, I want to say, like a third of the way through this movie. Yeah. Because it was one that I felt like, even though it came in at under two hours, I think, or around two hours, I was like, yeah, I didn't need a lot of this. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I feel bad when I don't like movies, but it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, you know, they didn't really know what to do with Thor until Ragnarok. No, I agree. They didn't understand how to tell that story. It took Taika Waititi to kind of push them in the direction of like, and, and exploring not only the Thor character, but who they had cast him as. Like, these are Chris Hemsworth's strengths as an actor, and this is what we need to be exacerbating about this character in order for him to really become an emotional connection with the audience. And in this one, I'm sad to say, but there's no emotional connection with Thor. This is the, there's a little bit more in the first one. And this one, Thor is very wooden and very uh, mythical hero mm -hmm. rather than person. And Marvel really prides themselves on having their heroes be people with flaws and issues and concerns that are totally outside of their heroic doings. And in this one, they're just isn't a lot of that and it's it's missing it should be there he didn't get to be quite as charismatic as he was in some of the other movies especially ragnarok but even the first thor movie he had the whole fish out of water thing going for him at least and it's like okay well you can't really roll that over into the second movie right and they didn't seem to know what to do with him he was just sort of stuck in this place and I don't know. It was just a weird kind of disjointed story for me. But if you have some more notes on the story, please, by all means. I really wanted to talk about the end. Like okay. the final scene in London. Mm -hmm. it, it is so forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sad <laughs> thing about it. It's so forgettable. And the villain is given not given enough time to be in any way menacing or interesting. Like, these are supposed to be, you know, these mythical creatures who strike fear into the hearts of even Asgardians. And they just kind of feel like, meh. They invade Asgard, for Christ's sake, and they just don't feel threatening at any point. And it's, it's such a missed opportunity. I feel like this movie that kind of defines it is it's a missed opportunity. And that climactic scene at the end is so representative of of what it misses because you just watch it you're like okay part of me was wondering if eric ended up having the best you know character moments in this movie <laughs> and i think that's oh, a bad thing so <laughs> for the movie great for the character <laughs> yes i have to say like he is the fun part of that movie and he's running around stonehenge naked and getting him out of there like all of that i was totally down with because and go him, he can really work that aspect of it 
like he can play really crazy as well as very serious scientist. Like Stellan Skarsgård really shows his range in this. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad because he's other than I would say Tom Hiddleston, he's the only one doing much in this movie. Otherwise everyone else is kind of on autopilot. I mean, even Anthony Hopkins, yeah, who gets who who seems to change very dramatically from this movie to the last movie. Like, yeah, Odin <laughs> seems totally different character between this and the fact that they don't explain like how Loki just evicted Odin kind of bothers me. Right, like, that's something I wasn't really willing to get to to like just hand wave away. I was like, but if he was able to do this now. Why didn't he do it before now? Yeah, it's like they either needed to lean completely in one direction and just finish telling the family story and what was going on in Asgard. And then they chose to sort of split it into two or three parts. And I think if they had just stuck with one of the stories, it would have been much better. And you could have kept the Dark Elves in that, too. You know, you still could have had their mother's death happen. But then because they're going to London and then they're in Asgard and it's like, ah, this is too much. And Kat Dennings is just here to have fun. So there is that. <laughs> right. She's great, of course. But yeah, they could have cut so much of the Jane stuff, which pains me to say, because, of course, there are not enough women in the Marvel Universe. And that's not the reason I'm saying that. I'm I saying think it's it because they haven't been great at writing them, to be honest. You know, yeah. it's not the women's yeah. fault. It's just no. the people who are writing these characters don't really seem to know what to do with them. And I even felt that way with Black Widow at times. I was like, really, this is where we're going with this character when she could do so much, so much. <laughs> Ironically enough, I think Joss Whedon is probably the best with her because her scenes in Avengers are interesting and funny and he gives her a, a sense of badass and all of that. Like for all of the things you can say about Joss Whedon, he does to a certain extent allow his female characters to be more than one to be, to be multidimensional and in this Jane is, is flat as cardboard so therefore it's like I don't need this let's develop the rest of this story and string it together instead of like you said you know just well we'll just pick bits and pieces and cram these three stories together yeah it was a lot going on but visually speaking this movie was still pretty dark and obviously they call it the dark world for a reason so there is that. But I was watching some of the scenes and I was like, I don't think these look all that great. And, you know, obviously so much goes into these movies, but I think it was just another part of them trying to do too much with this movie. Yeah, I agree. Like the the scenes on the dark elf ships, like I know they're dark elves, man, but they don't need to be this dark. Like I'd still like to see what's going on instead of kind of squinting at the screen like what's happening going on here because that's what it felt like by the end you know especially in those final few scenes everything just gets really monochromatic and then turned way down so it becomes uninteresting to look at almost yeah shall we move on to the credit scenes one of which matters a lot more than the other <laughs> <laughs> right yes let's talk about them so in the mid credit scene we get a look at the collector and we are looking at one of the infinity stones and i believe he says something like 
two down and however many more it is to go. And I was like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense now, obviously, having seen Infinity War. But at the time, you're just like, okay, cool. Right. You're weird. <laughs> right. Hey, Benicio Del Toro, I didn't think you'd be in this mess. <laughs> and then there he is. Um, and obviously, I think it's Thor and then it's Guardians. So he shows back up in Guardians. And then later again in Infinity War. Um, that's such an interesting part. And it's like... It ends and you're kind of like, wait, I wanted more. And that's the last we see of Lady Sif. <laughs> yep. That's it. She's she's gone now. That's fine. And Redbeard Guy. I don't know his name, but Redbeard Guy. I, I, I don't either. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, we're terrible. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt like they acknowledged the, the deep and important place that the Infinity Stones possess in the universe. But they haven't really set that up for us with anything other than the Tesseract before. And even the mm -hmm. Tesseract, like, it's not really acknowledged how important it is in the grand scheme of things, just how powerful it is to Earthlings. Yeah. And Loki. Yeah. And then the post credit scene is one of those ones where it's like, oh, I sat through this for that. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, rewatching it, you can fast forward through the credits and... I don't want to say that it's bad to sit through the credits of a movie because a lot of people put a lot of effort into these movies. And I was reading earlier, that's kind of why Kevin Feige wanted to put post credit scenes in so people would sit there and sort of recognize all of the people who spent so much time working on these. And it's like, yes, but when you have a Marvel movie, the credits are like 10 minutes long and sometimes people are just done. <laughs> and they are really slow. Yeah. Like they, they scroll over the screen much slower than most credits do, which is, again, like you said, that's okay. And I'll tell you folks, for those of you who don't watch old movies, they used to put all of the credits before yeah. the movie. <laughs> all of them. Not just like, oh, that. here's the director <laughs> and here's, you know, the stars. It was Everybody involved was before the movie. So you sat for 10 minutes beforehand and watched it all. But usually they would at least have stuff going on in the background, like in The Shining. Yes. You know, yes. it's like, okay, we're going to drive down this very long, windy road, and then we're going to get to the hotel, and then the credits will be done by then. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, but I find myself, he has, if that was his goal, he has kind of changed the way you watch movies. I still see people leave. <laughs> I'm like, I, me wait, too. wait, what are you doing? Don't you know? Me too. <laughs> but I find myself like, I'll sit in movies that I'm like, wait a second. I don't need to sit here. <laughs> There's not going to be a post-credit scene for First Man. <laughs> like, I can get up and go now. I, I know what you mean. Part of me like sits there for a minute and I'm like, wait, are they going to do something? <laughs> right. Should I wait? Should I watch? I don't know feel like I should, but I'm not reading the credits. That's right. the thing. It's like, I'm just waiting. Well, unless I go to a press screening where they don't allow you to have your phone, mm. then I do have to sit there because, oh my, you try to have your phone out during those post-credits, like before the credits come on, like they flip out because those are the things that people want to secretly record. So then I sometimes do, if I'm there by myself, I'm like, oh, I don't know who any of these people are. So. <laughs> But yeah. some people's names do get read, so they get a little appreciation at least. Yeah, I know that during Marvel movies, as soon as 
the mid credit scene is done, it's like, all right, pull out your phone, check the time, check Twitter. You know, you got you got some time here before the next one. <laughs> right. Google how many post credit sequences are there for this movie? Unless it's Guardians Volume 2. And I think they did like five or something ridiculous. <laughs> right. And you know what? Honestly, I wonder how all of this will age because in five years, let's say. Like, you could sit down and watch all 22 of these movies in the chronological order, and they came out within the Marvel Universe. And then, the things you're talking about, like, the issue of not knowing much about the Infinity Stones, like, well, that all changes, because you have Captain Marvel. And in Captain Marvel, they do give quite a bit more information about how much these devices affect the world around them and you get much more of a scope for the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, like, you know, obviously I'll do more Marvel rewatches, but I'm wondering how, how I'll feel about all of these films in five years when you sit down and you watch them and you can see the whole arc from beginning to end. Yeah, that will be interesting. And it's like, okay, do you watch them in chronological order, order of release? And then there's so many different ways you can watch them. And I know this is a big topic of discussion with like the Star Wars movies, because they basically did them out of order anyway, as well. And it'll be interesting to see what happens post Endgame, too. It's like, okay, you're going to have these 22 movies that tell this very, very long story, yet some of them have nothing to do with anything, and the Hulk changes, and you have a bunch that you could probably skip. And I've seen people tweaking this over the years as well. It's like, okay, well, what movies do you really need to watch right before Infinity War to get the whole story? And you can maybe boil it down to a handful. Yep, I agree. There's 10, probably 10 you could get away with. I am pulling that totally off the top of my head, but my gut says about 10 of them. You could just watch those and you'd be fine. You would be able to watch Infinity War and know what's going on if you had no experience with Marvel films or the comics. Yeah, I've seen some people do like four or five. It's like, okay, here's what you really need. And that's it. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's very slim down. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you wouldn't get the full uh, the full picture because at the very least, like as I've been doing my rewatch, like I've noticed like the earlier movies are the ones that you don't necessarily need to watch. But as you get closer and closer, like you really should watch those. Like you should really watch Spider-Man Homecoming and you know, Age of Ultron and Captain America Winter Soldier and da 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 So it's like, if you want a full picture, you shouldn't cut too many out, but this is probably one of the ones you can let slip by, like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I would prefer watching Thor Ragnarok out of all the Thor movies again. And yes. it's one of those things where I don't do a full rewatch leading up to the movies, I'll probably go and rewatch Infinity War because I've only seen that once in theaters. And so much happens in that right. that it would be hard not to <laughs> watch that at least before Endgame here. And I, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot. And it'll be interesting to see if going forward, Marvel starts to do smaller, more contained story arcs, or if they're going to do the whole 20 plus movie story again because a really, decade long effort yeah and i don't know i'm going to have to read up on the eternals 
because that's what looks like is coming next. And part of me feels like they might go in the Secret Wars direction. Oh, that's As far as, you know, like the Avengers and everything goes. And I think it depends on if, you know, they can keep using Spider-Man and some other factors. But obviously having all of the Fox characters again now, it's like, okay, there are way more possibilities than there were 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. I would guess. Personally, I would guess they'll do a couple, but the next giant thing will heavily involve the X-Men because that's something they haven't explored at all. Yeah. Something I, I would guess we'll see Scarlet Witch get identified. They will somehow swing that into like, oh, no, honey, you're an X-Man. That's what you are. You're a mutant. And I think that will, I think that might be their connection into it. So I'm interested to see how they parlay this out into the next thing. And which movies are the kind of movie we're talking about now where it's like, Eh. Yeah. <laughs> eh. I think f for me, the most recent movie that was like that was probably Ant-Man. Like Ant-Man, I, I wasn't too excited by. Right. Partially because I know too much about the character of Ant-Man to get excited about an Ant-Man movie. Paul Rudd is fun casting, at least. He is. But for those of you who read Ultimates, you know what I mean. But um, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp greatly improves on it. I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, yeah. I, and that might entirely be because of the inclusion of the Wasp, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Marvel has done some good things over this last decade, 11 years now, whatever it is. I There's so much to keep track of with Marvel, but, you know, Thor, The Dark World, not the greatest. I gave it a two out of five. What did you give it? I think I'd give it a two and a half. Okay. So basically, I think we're kind of flipped on the Thor movies. Yep. Yeah, I, I would say that. It's not, it's not, not too bad. <laughs> no, it's not that much better than the first one. But I did find it more interesting, mostly because I was more interested in Asgard. And right. I loved seeing Rene Russo and that exploration. So there's some good stuff about it. But for the most part, it's just not that interesting. <laughs> Unless you're really into Loki. If you're really into Loki or Tom Hiddleston, there's some good stuff for you. Yeah, definitely. And you will be back for a roundtable episode on Avengers Endgame. It's going to be something new that we're trying, so hopefully it goes well. <laughs> It'll go fantastically. I've been I've done several of those kind of podcasts and they're always fun to have so many people all pitching in their ideas. Yes, I probably won't have as much fun editing it, but that is besides no. the point. <laughs> you know, no, but there will be four of us on that episode. And if anyone is interested, it will be going up the Tuesday after the movie releases. So by the time you're hearing this, Endgame will be out in a few days. So go see it opening weekend if you want to hop on the podcast right away and listen to that. Otherwise, there will be all the spoilers, so don't listen to it until you've seen it. <laughs> and I will give you an extra spoiler warning in the next episode. Definitely a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Katie, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you about these Marvel movies because, you know, there are some good ones, there are some bad ones, and there are some just fine ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to put it. But we always have fun discussing them. <laughs> Yes, we do, even if it's not so good, or sometimes we have the best times on the worst movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and if you aren't following us on Twitter, we're at Pod. Follow us there. 
We're also on Instagram, Welcome to Geekdom, and on Facebook as Welcome to Geekdom. I'm not on Facebook as much. You know, you'll get the episode post every week, and that's about it on there. So there's your warning on that. (laughs) But otherwise, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.